Hey guys, welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield, and I am very excited to be bringing you guys part two of my chat with the hormone whisperer and female hormone guru, Elisa Vitti. Last week's episode with Elisa is so far one of the most downloaded episodes already, which makes me so happy to see because you guys know I love talking about this topic so much. I love learning about it. Female hormones are such a taboo topic to so many and we're almost set up for failure with the lack of information we're given at such a young age. I remember in health class, like not being told or taught properly about my body and like what a period is and what it means. And that it's really not just about the period. It's about all of the phases that we go through each month. And I am so thankful for women like Elisa who are helping to teach us about our bodies, how to treat them. Her books have been so tremendously helpful for me personally, as you guys heard of part one. And in this episode, we dive into more of like a Q&A format. So Elisa answers all the questions you guys sent in over on Instagram. We talk about supplements, hormones, transitioning off of the pill, postpartum, and how to prepare your body for that, spotting between periods, tips for migraines, how to cure chronic yeast infections, and so much more. And if you have any questions over about cycle syncing or intermittent fasting, and definitely refer back to part one because Elisa was very generous in the information that she shares with us. So I'm so excited for you guys to have these as resources. And thank you so much for taking the time to share them on your Instagram stories and tag me when you're listening to it. I have been so overwhelmed with the love and support, especially for these episodes with Elisa. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you do enjoy that this podcast and especially these episodes, I'd love for you to rate and review the podcast. It will only take less than a minute. Also, if you can continue sharing it and spread the word, it's really just so helpful in generating more awareness for the podcast. And as always, please email or DM me with any guest requests. I have a lot of amazing guests lined up for you guys in the upcoming weeks. So I'm not going to spoil or give any any hints thus far, but I cannot wait to keep sharing new and amazing, amazing guests with you guys. But before we dive into today's episode, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, JoJo's. Now, I have been friendly with the JoJo's team now for years and last Last year at Expo West, I had the pleasure of meeting their amazing team. One of the employees actually came like running after my mom and I when we were walking down one of the aisles. And for those of you who don't know also what Expo West is, it's almost like a big trade show for, well, not almost, it is. It's a big trade show for any like organic and non-GMO and like healthy food brand or product. And one of the employees from JoJo's came running after me for me to try one of his like the peanut butter bars, which is now officially my apps. It's my favorite. It is so, so good. And I learned a lot more about their brand in the last few years. And it's very important, you know, moving forward, I want you guys to really understand the brands that I'm partnering with, partnering with and why I'm partnering with them. And so in case you aren't familiar with JoJo's, they were created by a woman named JoJo who loved her chocolate and snacking on chocolate so, so much, but she wanted to find a snack that was a little bit lower in sugar after she was unfortunately diagnosed with breast cancer. She battled cancer on and off for years. And during her journey, she created some of these chocolate snack bars for us to all love and enjoy. JoJo's is made with dark chocolate and boosted with hemp protein, and it comes in four delicious flavors. They have the original, they have a Goes Hawaiian, which has coconut and macadamia nuts in it. 
They have a raspberry dream, which is my mom's personal favorite. And my favorite is obviously the peanut butter delight, which is filled with palm oil free peanut butter. Their chocolate bars are also friendly for paleo, keto, vegans, and the Goes Hawaiian and Raspberry Dream have less than one gram of sugar in them, which is crazy and unheard of in chocolate world. Now you can snag their products directly on their site and get 20% off using the code RACHL, R-A-C-H-L. And I will link to everything in the show notes to make it even easier for you guys. But thank you so, so much to JoJo's for sponsoring this episode. And I cannot wait for everyone to try your delicious chocolate snack bars too. This is a lot of good information and it's something that's like so important to, to myself and it's important, it should be important to most women. So I'm excited to dive into these questions. Let's um, do it. You got a lot of good questions. Yay. So the first one, any supplements you recommend to regulate your cycle? So I know we briefly spoke, I think, I think we stopped recording and when we spoke about Vitex, but I think if you could touch upon any supplements, if like you have an irregular cycle or an absent cycle, anything you recommend. So, you know, I always believe less is more. And, and so for example, what I mean by that is one could just hop to an adaptogen like maca, but I, I tend not to go there first. I really like to look at what is, what is the cause the root, or what are some of the root causes of your irregular cycle or your missing cycle? Is it inflammation, right? From chemical exposure, and that could be part of your PCOS journey. Um, is it a history of under eating that could be part of your HA journey? Um, is it a massive stress moment? Like really, big, there are big life stressors where moving, COVID crisis, <laughs> losing a loved one, um, that could cause your, you, you to have an anovulatory cycle and have a missed period, right? These are, these are all things that can happen. So to just throw a blanket statement like, oh, you know, maca, which is probably the most aggressive thing you could take, I would say instead, let's first understand why. And if it's something like the, the life crisis, massive stress moment, then, then just wait. Do, don't necessarily take anything except something to deal with the stress, like an ashwagandha or some extra vitamin C, which is very essential for the adrenals in dealing with stress. Um, if it's, if it's inflammation, right, that's created all sorts of internal stress in the body, then it isn't about adding a supplement necessarily. It's about getting those things out of the diet and giving your body some time to recover. If it's under eating, then it's about nourishing yourself and maybe taking some extra micronutrients like B vitamins, omega-3s, things that are going to help uh, strengthen the, the nutrient reserves that your body needs, your glands need to perform hormonal function, right? So that's the thinking, that's the methodology that I would rather have you use to think about, well, what do I need as opposed to what we've been conditioned to think, which is give me the pill that's going to fix this problem. As we know, that just doesn't work. I mean, and certainly in 20 years of practice, it does, that's not how it works. I would not have written the books I have written if that worked, you know. So happy you said that. I feel like people expect like a magic pill. Like, you know, this is, I'm having this issue. This vitamin can fix this. Like this can fix this. And I'm guilty about like three, four years ago thinking I actually started with Mako was the first thing I took. And 
it, there's so much more than that. And like, even when it comes to vitamins in general, they're super important, but it comes to like the nutrients of the food. And like, that's your best way to get these vitamins is naturally through. Listen, sometimes, sometimes if there's been a lot of depletion, if you've been on prolonged antibiotics, prolonged SSRIs, prolonged um, synthetic birth control, then actually it'll take, you can get there. It'll just take you a lot longer to get there. Whereas if you do food plus really smart micronutrient therapy, you can heal faster. And who doesn't want that? But it's by no means that magic pill thing that I think we all, you know, wish was existing, but it just doesn't, I've never, I mean, I don't see it anywhere. So I think it just asks the question of why has my period gone missing or why is it irregular? And when you get to the answer, then the solutions become obvious because it's going to be mostly undoing what you had inadvertently done to, you know, sort of disrupt your endocrine function. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when would a pill such as like Vitex be taken? Because I think that, that there could almost be like an abuse of herbs in some way where people are taking this supplement and this supplement and this vitamin, this vitamin, it's too much for their body or maybe like Vitex or something like that really isn't the answer. Like what kind of scenario or situation would you recommend something like that? I mean, Vitex is one of the most studied, longest, you know, documented case use uh, herbs for women's health. So it's extremely safe. It, um, and it's very gentle, you know, it doesn't make progesterone in the body, but it assists the pituitary gland to perform more optimally. And that helps in progesterone production. When is that appropriate? You know, when you're coming off birth control and the, the hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis, it lets, and especially if you've gotten on it before the age of 22, because your brain has not completed development until 22. So the, so the hypothalamic pituitary axis is what is trying to establish itself during pubescence from 9 to 22. And when you put synthetic birth control in, in those pubescent years before the brain completes its journey, oftentimes when you come off of that, uh, the HPO axis does not, takes a minute to get restarted. And Vitex is very valuable for that. Very helpful. Um, it can be helpful, you know, if you're done breastfeeding and you're feeling still a little postpartum and you need a little boost that could, you know, again, Oftentimes that's a little postnatal depletion, but that herb Vitex, also an herb called motherwort can be really helpful in the postpartum period. Um, I wouldn't recommend Vitex, let's say for perimenopause, right? That's when I would start to say maca because what's happening in perimenopause, in the second half of perimenopause, so from 35 to 45, I would say Vitex. 45 and on, I would say maca because what's happening is your body is starting to make less concentrations of hormones. That's what it's reverse puberty, right? Perimenopause. So um, maca helps your body make a little extra hormones, not going to completely restore you to reproductive status, but it's going to help um, lessen the deficit that can create uh, symptoms that are less desirable. If you're someone who's really feeling them, that can be good, but it's not necessary. You don't have to be on maca. Um, and not all maca is created equal. The only brand that is 
genetically tested and uh, clinically proven to work is a product. Uh, the brand is called Feminescence. Right. Feminescence Maca um, is is therapeutic uh, dose. So if you would like to use it to help with hormones, that's the only one that I would recommend. That's um, so interesting because I mean, how many smoothies and weird lattes do we see that just like throw maca in there and this and that? And I'm always, I just like get so confused. I'm like, well, what is that for? Like I hear it for hormones. I've heard it for like energy. I just, I don't. Yeah. In fact, if depending if they're using, you know, there's different colors of maca, there's different formulations. Some is gelatinized, others are not, you know, and it can have really disruptive um, digestive effects. I, I, yes, I would say if you're going into a smoothie bar or a juice bar and they have a lot of adaptogens and medicinal things, you really want to you know, listen, one maca smoothie is not going to hurt you, yeah. but it's not, you know, but you do, you know, I don't, I usually don't, you know, would I use, um, the only adaptogens I think I would take on the fly on the street, you know, when one could go on the street and get a smoothie <laughs> you know, would be like something with like, um, immuno beneficial mushrooms, like reishi yeah. or just any like stress, stress adaptogen, like or ashwagandha because that you could really have any time for any reason it'll help it'll be helpful but if we're talking about things that are really hormonally impactful you you know you want to be doing that with an understanding and a purpose yeah there has to be intention behind that um which is actually a great segue into the next question which was how can i increase estrogen and progesterone naturally so i know you just briefly said vitax can help with progesterone which i didn't realize it's so interesting but any other ways you can just naturally increase estrogen? Oh, yeah, there's more. There's more to progesterone as well. So with estrogen, um, when you want to make more hormones, you need two things first, and then we can get down into specifics. First, you need amino acids. And second, you need cholesterol. So if you are low estrogen and low progesterone, you have to look and say, where in my diet am I getting amino acids? Are you vegan? for example, um, because that can be problematic. And I've had many women who have been vegan, who have had issues with their hormones as a result, who've gone on a medicinal journey with reintroducing animal protein into their diet and having all of their hormonal issues resolved because animal protein has the most bioavailable you know, way for you to get amino acids. It's not the only way, you know? If you have a really excellent performing gut, small intestine specifically, no um, dysbiosis, no disruption of the gut microbiome, and no um, inflammation that's causing you know little fissures in the lining of your intestine, you're not having leaky gut, right? If that's all happening and you have a really strong performing gut, then you could get your amino acids and 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 have them be bioavailable from things like hemp, which has a really nice full spectrum of amino acids. But it just depends on you, right? And I don't know exactly your scenario. Um, but if restrictive diets have been part of the, the issue, then thinking about getting more amino acids, however you can, is key. And then cholesterol, which comes from saturated fats. So egg yolks or good grass-fed butter, you know, fattier meat, yeah. you know, things like that can be really helpful because that's going to give your whole system the building blocks it needs to make 
all sorts of hormones, not just estrogen. You, you need it for making thyroid hormones and adrenal hormones and everything. So that's the first thing. Then with estrogen specifically, you can do an added boost of using um, soy products, which, but they have to be the right kind of soy products. So it wouldn't be um, a couple of years ago when I was on Dr. Oz, if you guys want to find this clip, I, they, they made me a giant soybean. It was so funny. This thing, this thing was like on a giant table. It was so big. It was like TV magic, you know? And me and Dr. Oz were like dismantling this soybean and talking about what good soy is versus bad. And basically, it's the, it's the protein isolate that you don't want to have because that is going to raise your estrogen load a little bit in the wrong way. But whole fermented soy products, like really good organic tofu, things like that, that could be useful for someone who's trying to raise their estrogen levels a little bit. And then progesterone, you know, it's B5, I'm sorry, B6, B5 is for the adrenals, B6 in particular. Um, So, and you can just Google which foods are rich in B6 and start eating more of those. That can help you too. But you got to start with the basics because that's how the body likes to work. If you're depleted in amino acids and cholesterol, your whole endocrine system is going to start to become underactive. And so because your sex hormones are not essential for life, whereas insulin levels are, for example, and thyroid hormones are, those hormones are the first ones to dissipate in concentration when there aren't enough building blocks in the body to make all these other hormones as well. So it really is a dance that your body is performing for you all the time of, do we have enough ingredients every day to bake the cake and put on the frosting and light the candle, right? Candles, your sex drive, frosting is your fertility and the cake is your period. And if you don't have enough ingredients, the candle's not going to get lit. The frosting's not going to be. I love language over here. (laughs) Yeah. Well, (laughs) and then you don't even get the cake some days or some months, right? So it's all about put in the right inputs and in the, in the right ingredients, and then everything will happen the way that it should. No, I love that. I mean, it really just comes down to taking care of your body and giving it the nutrients and like the, I think it might create a lot of the less stress that it needs and it, it'll feel its best self. Now, when you've been trying to get your period back for like X amount of months and it's still not there, that was when, you know, my OBGYN had said to me, Rachel, if it gets to be three months post-nursing, you still don't have a period try Provera, see what happens. Like, what do I do? And I did that before when in my, I want to say I was like 24 and it didn't work. I didn't get anything from it. Um, and then, so at this time, what I said to her, you know what, I'm postpartum, like maybe my body be a little bit different. And I didn't respond to it immediately. Um, like when I was supposed to, but then three weeks later, which I can't say if it's from Provera, that's. Well, cause you were also doing some other things we talked about on the last podcast. Um, that's what's like, we'll never know. But other people had said that their gynecologist is saying to take this. And what are your thoughts on taking something like that? And it's okay if they're not good thoughts, even though I took it. Just, um, yeah, no, I mean, listen, my thoughts are, it's okay. You know, it's not like you're going on it for long term. You know, synthetic progestins have some side effects that you should be aware of. Um, but again, you're doing it for a handful of days. So it's not, something that's this long-term thing. Oh, yeah, so like one-time, one-time dose. If you want to um, 
try that. That's your prerogative. But I think what you'll find is that you're going to end up back where you started, which is that you also need to address what's going on. So in your case, um, or actually in everyone's case, and I, I wrote about that in the life cycles, the life stages section, post, postpartum, and even on the Flow Living blog, you can find sort of all these recommendations. When you're done breastfeeding, right, then you can start to take things again. While you're breastfeeding, you cannot take adaptogens. You cannot, t- I mean, some people would say you can. I would say you, you, I never realized how much you can't do when you're breastfeeding until I was breastfeeding. Anything you're taking, then that's going to be stimulating the baby and, and developmentally, you just don't want to be doing that. So, um, but as soon as you're done and your body is back to just being about you, then you can start to play with adaptogens. And I would immediately have you go on maca, someone like you who's had a history of anovulatory cycles because you could, that boost of, of helping your body make a little bit more hormones would be really helpful. And you could then, after giving that two to three months to settle in, to make a sort of, to, to have to take therapeutic effect in the body, then you could also add in Vitex as well. In addition to the maca, you would do all sorts of stress-reducing adaptogens like ashwagandha. You would take all sorts of different supplements. You could ditch the prenatals and really start higher therapeutic doses of B vitamins and things that are good for the adrenals. Um, and make sure that you, if you haven't, like I was talking about this earlier somewhere today. Um, as you know, I've been podcasting all day. So <laughs> somewhere in one of my conversations. Um, it was really about if you, a lot of women fall prey to this idea that postpartum, you would want to diet, right? And get your body back. And if you are, let's say, finding yourself being done with breastfeeding, not having a cycle, again, we would look at that like a depletion situation. So yes, you can take the adaptogens, but you also, if you didn't do the fourth trimester work, right, of really eating as if you're in an extended menstrual phase with the foods from that phase, um, you, can, you can do it even after the fact, and it will give you the benefit of really deeply nurturing your body so that you can replenish and start to restore your cycle. Again, without enough ingredients, no birthday cake. Yeah, no period. I love that. I think something that I personally didn't prepare for was the fourth trimester. Um, so like future kids, it's something I'm, I was so focused on Ezra coming and the baby. I mean, he also came very early, but I didn't have a chance. But like, I didn't even take into account my own health after he was born. I was too prior, like prioritizing having diapers and onesies and crib sheets. And, and that's a, actually a big problem that um, people are starting to talk about in the wellness community, that there's unbalanced focus yeah. put on, like, it's like, you've got all this focus on being healthy during the pregnancy because healthy during the pregnancy means healthy baby. So it's really about the baby. It's not so much about you. And then there's like no discussion about your health postpartum. And that's really a problem because that's where you can have issues with postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety, postnatal depletion, which can linger for years, which can cause secondary infertility, which can lead to issues with perimenopause. I mean, this is your postpartum health and what you do to, to restore yourself after 3D printing an entire human being inside of your body and then going through the, the heroic, epic experience of giving birth, whether that's vaginally or cesarean, um, 
you know, you need to restore from that experience. And so there are two books I really like to recommend to help pregnant moms get prepared and oriented for this postnatal time. So the first one, and I love this book so much. I wrote the forward to this book. I think her, this author and this, she's just a genius contributor to the women's health conversation. Her name is Kimberly Johnson. And she wrote the book, The Fourth Trimester. And um, as I said, I wrote the forward. It's, it's like a, a white book with like pink confetti light on the cover, fourth trimester. And then the second book is a cookbook, um, which is by, I'm, I'm, I'm going to totally butcher her name, but I'm going to try. It's Hang U, H-E-N-G-O-U. And it's called... I can't think of it now. I'd have to Google it. Hold okay. on. It's okay. Yeah. And you look at, look it up and, and link. Um, but it's also similar. It's like, Oh, it's called the first 90 days. How could I forget? I, I oh, I've it. heard of that. Yes, the first 90 days. I love this book. I recommend it to all of the women who get pregnant at, with us at slow living. These are the two books I want you to read aside from, you know, your birth books. There are so many great birth books. So you just take your pick. There's Ina Mae Gaskin. There's a lot of great doula books um, written by doulas. Um, so to help you prepare for a birth that is what you want um, and empowered. But the, the, po- the two postpartum books you need to read, the, read um, Kimberly Johnson's book before in your third trimester. Okay. okay? Read it then so you're prepared and you can take the time to do what you need to do. And then read just the introduction and first chapter of the cookbook so that you can do any little food prep in advance and bank things in the freezer for, let's say, the first month. And then what you're going to do is hand this dog ear the recipes that you like and you're going to make your mom or whoever's helping you, mother-in-law, your husband, your wife, they're going to make these recipes for you while you rest and recover. I love that. I'm going to look actually, I'm not pregnant, obviously, but I'm going to buy these books and read them. And that way I can be prepared for next time and also give them to my friends with Friday. Yeah. Baby and, ha- and, you know, hopefully have them on your podcast because they have yeah. so much wisdom to share. Great. You can be my, my, my book, my booker for this thing. Thank I just like, I like supporting women who are trying to help each other, you know? Oh, that's amazing. Okay. I can't wait to actually read those. Um, and look into that. That's like one thing I really like. I don't ever have regrets with things in life, but that's one thing I really do wish that I did when I was pregnant was just prepare for myself better because yeah. I don't. I think most moms don't do that. Yeah. Um. The next one. What are your What are the best methods of contraception? Contraception. Um. And IUDs. I know you talk about this in the books. I remember reading it, and you talk about the copper IUD, and a lot of people were inquiring about your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, listen. I personally think that not doing anything that causes you any risk of any sort is the optimal thing, which means um, what's left is barrier methods and and tracking your ovulation and your fertility. So for example, there's a great, uh, which I recommend all the time, the DAISY um, app. And it's a tool. it's It's a basal body temperature tracker. So if you track your basal body temperature every day, this app will tell you exactly with precision when you are real deal fertile, when you could get pregnant. If you don't want to get pregnant, then on those days, if you're in a committed partnership with a man, you would use condoms and maybe a backup method like a sponge that has spermicide. 
and you could be, you can rest easy. You really can, because trust me, as you know, and as I know from working with women who have fertility struggles, it is a very small window where you are fertile and it is very hard to get pregnant. It's not this easy thing, right? You know, unless you're super, super young, in which case, you know, barrier methods or, you know, really having conversations with your partner about that. So, so that's, that's, I think, for the vast majority of us, something really important to think about is why take on the burden of disrupting your hormones, putting in synthetic chemicals? I mean, think about it. Here you are, you know, if you're, a, if you're a following, you know, just the good stuff and the cookbook and you're at work, you're eating so clean, right? Or at least healthy foods, organic, things like that. Then to put this, it just doesn't match up with your values and your lifestyle. And it's not necessary, you know, and it has too many side effects. So I think that that's important. Um, and if you're in a same-sex partnership and it's committed, you know, then it, it, you don't have to worry as much. If you're, if you're dating um, in either scenario, always barrier methods, like always, because now we're not just talking about preventing pregnancy. We're also talking about preventing disease transmission, which if you are concerned about your fertility, you should know that the more partners you have, any kind of partner unprotected can increase your risk of pelvic inflammatory disease, which really, really messes with your fertility. Okay. We often think about fertility being just this ovulation conversation, but it's also about the vaginal and uterine microbiome as well. Right. And so, I mean, I'm just a big, big fan of condoms and dental dams and everything else that you can use sponges anything that you can put in between you and conception and and bacteria that's what i want for you before jordan and i wanted to were starting to try and have kids like when i went off the pill like i still use protection because i was so even though i had no idea how hard it was going to be for us to get pregnant but i was i'm not risking any of this there's too many side effects there's too many risks like you just don't know and yeah worth it and women in perimenopause who've who are done having their kids you know and they don't want to have any more kids right the same the same logic applies right but with the added thought which is if you're with a male partner you don't have to be the one that default sets to have the burden of the contraceptive thing right um you could ask your male partner to consider a vasectomy because then there's no worry. And that procedure is safe and easy recovery. And it's like not a big deal. And if you're all set and you're all done, why should the burden, why is the burden default setting for oh, contraception to women? That's a gender bias. And you know, the, the In the Flow book is all about sort of looking at these gender biases and how they're not allowing us to really be our healthiest selves. And that's just not fair and not right. So if you're in a loving relationship, that is a very reasonable conversation to have. If you're in your 40s and you don't want to have any more babies and you don't want to stress about it every time you're ovulating, maybe, and of course, that's going to become increasingly irregular and harder to track, um, you know, that's a really, really great option. Because the IUD, copper, I mean, the hormonal one is the, you know, you, we already talked about my opinions about synthetic birth control last time. Um, but I think, but <laughs> we actually didn't talk about okay, it. Okay. So we'll talk about that. We can talk about it now, but, <laughs> but, um, 
But the copper IUD, you know, in this country, the, the, the form of it, you know, it looks like this very pointy, like a stick with two points on the top, right? And there are some issues where that can perforate the uterus. It's not ideal. Again, unnecessary risk. There is one that I believe was designed by a woman in Europe, a new IUD, a new copper IUD that instead of being this pointy, ridiculous thing that could hurt you is a, it's a, it's like a neck, it's like a little circle of all little beads on it, little balls. So there's no possibility for perforation, but it's not yet cleared by the FDA. And I'm not, I'm not sure when that will happen, but it, I, you know, I never even knew what an IUD looked like. I just looked it up. Isn't it scary? It looks like a toothpick with like, like with, it looks like three toothpicks going in every direction that could be pointy and painful. Um, Hell no. Um, right. So again, <laughs> again, these are not great options, but barrier methods and knowing precisely when you're, I mean, there's also the Ava bracelet. There's also just stuff at CVS where you can urinate on an ovulation yeah. test strip. They're not that expensive. And you can just around the days when you think you're going to be ovulating, um, you can pee on the stick and know for sure. No, I love that. I, I don't, I guess IUDs must have become more popular when I was later. I, they weren't around when I was like looking into birth control methods, at least like they weren't talked about when I was in high school as much as like, the pill was. Yeah, they, they, they usually don't like to recommend them to younger girls okay. because of the risk for scarring and other complications because they are thinking about whether you are or not your fertility in the future. They're more commonly suggested for women who are done having children but don't want to do you know, m- might be too busy because they have lots of little ones to take a pill, right? Um, some of them secrete hormones. The copper IUD does not. Um, so it's just, there's, just get informed, um, yeah. I think is important. Now, when it comes to transitioning off of the birth control pill, what do you think is the best way to transition off of that? Um, that you're on it, you quote, have a cycle, even though we know it's not an actual cycle. What is the best way to go off of it? Do you go cold turkey? Do you like transition a certain way? What do you recommend? Yeah. I, you know, listen, you're taking serious medication that alters your brain and your thyroid and, and your hormones, right? So this, this is a serious medication to take. Um, and some people have really serious reactions to being on this medication. I included, and um, there's a documentary coming out that I'm uh, proud to be a part of that Ricky Lake and Abby Epstein are producing called The Business of Birth Control. That'll be out sometime oh. soon, really doing an expose on the dangers of synthetic birth control that women are not always being informed about anymore. Um, and anyway, what you should know is that when you transition off this medication, you want to work with your physician. Now, your your gynecologist might and likely will try to talk you out of it. At least that's been the experience that many of the women that I've talked to have said that that, you know, they're like, why would you do that? You should stay on it forever until you want to have, right. So go into the conversation knowing that that's what they're going to do. And then um, just be ready to take your stand and say, listen, I appreciate and respect your perspective, but this is something I just feel like I need to do. And here's my game plan. And I really would like your support. Are you willing to help me? You know, if you speak respectfully, this is, this person is not your adversary and nor should you just walk out of there and just write them off because you do need their help and they are your physician. 
So you're going to ask for their support and you're going to give them the following game plan, which is for the next cycle, I'm going to stay on the medication and I'm going to take some supplements and I'm going to start eating some foods that I think will be supportive for me based on my research. Right. And, and we have a whole, which we can include the link here for your listeners. We have a whole birth control. It's a free guide. Uh, We call it birth control rehab. Like how do you transition safely? We kind of walk through all the steps. You can even bring this to your conversation with your physician. So you don't forget any details. And And then you're going to do that. You're going to start eating some really, again, those replenishing foods, really starting to give yourself more amino acids, more cholesterol-based foods, more of the right supplements, more of the good probiotics. You're going to really start to nourish. Then you're going to go off after the, the, the last placebo pill. You're going to let your doctor know that you've stopped so that they're just aware that you may call with any side effects, right? You could have you know, all sorts of fun, funny things happen after you go off the pill. You could have migraines, you could have sweats, you could have, you know, hypoglycemic moments. It, it, again, it's all, it affects your, all of your hormones. So you have to be mindful that you could have a little bit of a, you know, not feeling good. And so you, you just want your doctor to know that you're doing this so that in case you call, he or she is aware of why you might be having those symptoms. Um, and then you're going to, of course, continue doing the food piece that you've been doing the same, just deeply nourishing foods, um, very restorative supplement protocol. You're going to do that for two to three more months because you will likely not get your period back for that time. In the third month, um, you may layer in things like Vitex. Okay. So give your body a couple months. Right. Or maca, depending on your history. And it's all sort of outlined in the report. Um, but that's, that's really it. And then once you get your first bleed, congratulations, you've restored your infradian rhythm and your hypothalamic pituitary ovarian axis. It's wonderful. You should celebrate it. You should do something to honor the fact that you and your body together have achieved this because it's no small thing. You know, it doesn't have to be hokey. It just need, you just need to acknowledge something good that, that you guys have done together, you and your body. And then you're going to start the cycle sinking method, you're going to, uh, you know, after that bleed is over, that first bleed, then you're going to move into your follicular phase and you're going to start to do all the things that you learned about last week when we were talking through that in the podcast. Oh man, I love it. I wish I had that guide six years ago. Um, when I was trans, I went cold turkey. I didn't even call my doctor. I like, I thought it was like taking like a vitamin. You just stopped one day and nothing. Happened. I know. I, I feel like a lot of women feel that way. And again, that really speaks to the fact that we are not given adequate education about how serious that medication is, um, what the potential side effects of taking it are, um, you know, what it does to the body as a whole while you're on it, and you know that it you do need. And, and a lot of women, for example, when they go on synthetic birth control, it has a it can have a negative effect. In fact. I'm not going to get the statistic right, but we have it on the, the Flow Living blog about the, there's a particular statistic, women going on birth control have a particular percentage increase in depression. And so a lot of women take birth control and then find that they have to go on SSRIs. So oftentimes you're taking two very significant medications at the same time, and it becomes a little bit more le- level of complexity, right? You obviously have to stay on the SSRI. 
you're going to come off the, the, medica- the, the synthetic birth control first, you're going to give yourself some time, and then you have to work with your psychiatrist to reevaluate your dosage or if you're going to stay on that medication. Because if you went on that medication because you fell into a depression from taking birth control, which is a known side effect now, then you have to reevaluate if you needed that all in the in in this new place. So it you know you're gonna it's a process. It's not this easy thing like one day you're taking Tic Tacs and the next day you're not. Yeah, that's pretty great. Just I don't even want to start telling you about my opinion. I, I feel you though. I feel <laughs> on that note. I feel you. <laughs> like I gotta go to the next thing because I'm just gonna like keep spiraling. Um, what does it mean if you spot in between periods? It can mean a lot of things. So it's important to understand, you know, when you're spotting and to be in communication with your physician. So um, mid-cycle spotting can be totally benign and can be just a little bit of an ovulation side effect. Um, But it can also be a, a sign of a polyp or something else more serious. And so if it's significant, um, you would want to immediately go have a, a pelvic exam and have that checked out for sure. Um, if you are having spotting like the day or two leading up to your bleed and the day or two as it ends, that's more normal, but that's rather that's more benign. Um, but it's a sign of um insufficient progesterone typically that you don't have enough to sort of kickstart the cycle sort of in an emphatic way and end it, um, you know, cleanly, so to speak. Um, and that happens a lot with women as they go through the perimenopause journey, they have this like annoying, never ending spotting because their progesterone levels are in fact decreasing. Okay. Now last night I was going, reading about the colors of the period in, in, in the flow which is so helpful, by the way. What does it mean then when you start your cycle and it's like red, the like red you describe in the book, like cherry or whatever the analogy was? Like blood colored. <laughs> like fresh, healthy, red blood. <laughs> and it's bleeding. But what does it mean when it goes from that to like pinkish by the end of the period? Yeah, so that's again, um, like it's insufficient estrogen, right? So I, again, would look at, are you eating enough amino acid foods and cholesterol-based foods to have a full endometrial buildup during the luteal phase and then a nice, robust cycle, okay. right? So a healthy cycle is anywhere between four and seven days, and it is clot-free. Yeah. I'm on day five. It's Great. Really, I thought it was going to be like a one-day wonder. I'm on day five. It's a lot lighter now. It's actually turning up. This is so TMI, but I don't care. It's like turning a little bit more like not pink but it's not as deep red as it was earlier and then that got my wheels turning like maybe there's like something but I'm also at the same time like I'm bleeding for five days I'm proud of no you. this is good I mean listen the end of your bleed you're going to lighten up in the concentration in the volume of blood right but if it's gone from red to like pale lemon pink lemonade if you if it's that no if it's just that it's less blood that's okay okay if it's totally a distinct color that's when i would say you know there's something up with a little bit of an estrogen issue but if it's just that wow two days ago you were changing your product whatever your product was and now you're kind of going most of the day with one thing that's fine that's what's supposed to happen good And, and you know what a valid question for you 
because how many periods have you had in your life? How many bleeds have you had? Not many. So you, it's reasonable for you to ask, what is, what's normal for me? Yeah, like and, and, and these are good. I like these. These are good questions. Every woman should ask this of herself. How is my bleed functioning? What's it looking like? What's the color? You know, is it the same as it always is? That's a, the best thing. You know, even if it's not perfect, as long as it's consistent for you, that's, a, that's always good. Perfect. Thank you. Um, what are your tips for anyone with a migraine during a period? Anything you can do? Yeah, those are really super not fun, right? Um, because what might, so cyclical migraines happen because you have a big spike in estrogen that happens during the ovulation phase. And then you have another surge of estrogen and a, and a drop-off in both right after ovulation and then towards the end of the luteal phase. So most women who have cyclical migraines are vulnerable to them after ovulation and but more profoundly leading up to their bleed. And that's the one that usually, because as estrogen recedes in concentration in brain chemistry, that can create the migraine environment. So, you know, what do we recommend? Um, there are some new interesting supplements that are, that are, and studies that are coming out. So I'm doing some digging into that for some future blog, blog articles on flow. So stay tuned um, because we're, we're digging into the science of um, GABA and pregnenolone and how that affects your brain and migraines and headaches. But also, you can do some basic things like taking ginkgo biloba, which is going to help with vasodilation, which will help if you have um, some of this going on. You can also play with some CBD. I have to say, um, you know, for me, this is not a political issue at all. For me, this is when we look at the endocrine system and the immune system there is another system that's an umbrella system to both of these called the endocannabinoid system in your body. So your body actually is full of receptor sites for cannabinoids, which come from cannabis. So there's the psychoactive part, THC, which is a whole other conversation that is not relevant to this conversation. But then there's the CBD part of cannabis which has been extremely extensively studied on pain management and anxiety and depression. And I think that CBD has tremendous potential for cyclical migraines. Um, and I think exploring that with dosing that orally with like CBD oil, I think could be a really great thing to check out. And again, there's no psychoactive issue there. Um, it, it just really helps with pain management. People, like, I mean, I was very iffy on CBD because it started to become more commonly spoken about when I was pregnant. So obviously I wasn't able to utilize it then. And then I was nursing for a year. So I never dabbled with it. And then when I was done nursing and I started to like feel my cortisol increase and a little bit of anxiety, I started taking it. And now I like, I like swear by it. Like it works so well in terms of just that plus magnesium at night is like my happy place. It is been so I think that's great and that's that could be another reason why your cycle is coming back because if you are um decreasing adrenaline and cortisol that much the the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis affects the ovarian 
response as well. So if your HPA is like happy, not in stress mode, that's going to have a beneficial impact on the period, the cycle. You need is a little CBD in a pandemic, man, to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> Next question, how can you cure chronic yeast infections? And I was shocked at the amount of people that submitted stuff about yeast infections. I've, that's interesting. I've never had one. Um, okay. Well, there's a product that I recommend to everyone that I love. It's by Dr. Tori Hudson and her company is called Vitanica. And she makes a vaginal suppository called Yeast Arrest, which is uh, a boric acid suppository, which sounds really nefarious, but it is not. <laughs> and it has some other herbs and it is just really effective. Um, at the same time, I would then also recommend that you take Jarrow vaginal probiotics, which are not vaginal suppositories. They're called vaginal probiotics, but you <laughs> take them in your mouth. Do not stick them in your vagina because they are enterically coated to get into the, the intestine. Interesting. So they can get down to the vaginal ecology and they will not dissolve in your vaginal um, uh, cavity. And, and then you could have issues of like multiple pills up there that you have to excavate. You do not want to do that. So, but the, the, the Vitanica yeast arrest you would put in your vagina and then the Jaro vaginal probiotics you would put in your mouth and that will do the trick. Oh my God, that's amazing. Okay, that's going to help so many people. Yes. Um, the next question, does seed cycling really work? Listen, we're talking about fiber. We're talking about fat. Uh, we're talking about some levels of amino acid. These are all things that your endocrine system needs, your cycle needs to function well. Um, most women who try seed cycling, I like to think of it as the gateway drug for the cycle syncing method, right? Because you're going to do some seed cycling. You're saying, oh, this is a logical concept, right? Because my body is changing and I need to put different things in at different times. And that is a really good first place to start. And you're going to also notice that it has some positive benefits. Does it, is it a cure-all? Does it fix everything? Is it fully comprehensive? No. But once you understand that, that you want to start eating cyclically, and then you can really start to take that to the next level with the cycle syncing method, then you're going to start to get the results that you want. Plus, seeds, I mean, call me weird, but I think that they just taste good. I actually just switched from sunflower to pumpkin today because I feel like my period's going to be like ending any day now. Um, and it just reminded me to kind of like turn, turn the switch a little bit. But um, now that was all the questions that I pulled that I wanted to ask that were submitted. I have one question that's, that's asked from me, which I'll claim. What are your tips for follicle growth? Now that like, and this is just me selfishly asking, my period is ending like, I know I just had a vaginal ultrasound and I have like, like I was saying, like 15 follicles on my right, 13 on my left. What can I do to ensure follicles continue to grow? I mean, I think when we're talking about prepping for, you know, uh, optimizing fertility, I would say that it would be a combination of taking coenzyme Q10, 200 milligrams a day is scientifically proven for increasing both egg and sperm quality. So you both want to be doing that. Oh, cool. All right, George. For sure. Um, you know, again, just like that, see, that's interesting too. 
just like the burden is always placed on us for contraception, it is also always placed on us for optimizing fertility when that's literally 50% of the equation because sperm health and, and, uh, you know, if you're, you know, getting the sperm to the egg, that motility, mobility, genetic quality, all of that is stuff that can be, you know, zinc. There's lots of different things that men should be doing to prep for conception, including decreasing caffeine intake. Um, and anyway, there's, we have a lot of blogs on that on the site too. So you can, you can just, you can just put in search fertility in the search bar on flow living. Um, and then in your case, right, again, what you need to develop follicles, right, is estrogen and progesterone, follicular stimulating, you need the hormones of the cycle. So a little bit of ongoing support with Vitex, maybe a little bit with maca in this sort of short term way. Um, to add on to, you know, therapeutic doses of your of the vitamins and and supplements that you need, especially B vitamins, uh, folic acid in a in a methylated form. Do you know if you have MTHFR mutation? What does that mean? Okay, so the <laughs> so the MTHFR mutation is a just a gene mutation that um, makes it difficult for you to methylate in the body. No, I don't. So, Okay, so still, just to be safe, most prenatals and most folic acid when it's put in a B vitamin complex is in methylated form. So you want to look to make sure that it is because that's going to help you with your fertility as well. Interesting. Okay, thank you. I actually took my last two Vitex this morning and I started panicking. So I'm going to have to run to the store tomorrow morning and go and yeah, I like I like Gaia Herbals the best. Oh, that's what I took. Okay, yeah, they're they're top notch. They're one of the only people that sell that herb. Actually, when I was like looking on Amazon, there weren't that many that many other options. Um, but and then, now- thank goodness they make it right because so many of us really benefit from taking that herb. It's a very helpful herb throughout so many different parts of the life stages that we go through hormonally as women. Totally. Well, I didn't get to ask you my fireball questions. Oh, let's do it. So to t- switch things up a little bit, what is one wellnessy trend that you buy into? Oh God, I'm the worst at this. Um, oh, okay. I wear blue light blocking glasses at night when I'm, I do do that, of course. <laughs> but I don't think that's really a trend. That's just- No, diet. I mean, if it's- But it's, it has trended. You're, yeah. 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 Um, number two, what is one wellness trend that drives you crazy? Like a pet peeve? I mean- as a whole, I think the trend of like the, um, the, the omission of, you know, women from, it's, it's not really a pet peeve. It's really like, I just think it's wrong that women are omitted from medical fitness and nutrition research, but then we are um, told to do all these things that aren't going to help us. If that could be a pet peeve, that would probably be it. I, I can't because because why single out one trend when they're all based on biology that's not applicable to ours, right? It's, yeah, I don't need to point fingers at one when it's the whole the whole thing. <laughs> what if you weren't on this career path? What would you want to be? You know, this is always everyone's heart. I mean, I listen. Well, I can tell you what I thought I wanted to be. I yeah. thought that I was going to be an OBGYN. Um, not too close. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, let's uh, listen. I am nothing if not consistent. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy. Um, well, okay, what else could I do? What do I like now? I don't know. Oh, you know what would be really fun? I love art history. I love history. I love. I would maybe maybe I would like 
live in Paris and like have a little, I don't know, do something like fun with language and culture and art and teaching. Yeah. Um, And then the the fourth one, growing up, what was your fast food, your favorite fast food chain and what was your go-to order? We were, so I'm first generation American. And so we did not go. My mother did not. We did no, we, no, I mean, I lived equidistant from two grandparents, sets of grandparents who didn't speak much English and grew food. And so we would go and like get food. And my mom cooked breakfast, packed us lunches, dinner. Listen, one, once in a while on road trips, we would stop at McDonald's and eat an egg yeah. McMuffin or something. But it, I, that was an exception because we had no other choice. Um, and once in a while, we would go out for like Chinese food. Um, <laughs> but that's it. Like, that's the, but we, my, my family was doing farm to table because that's what you did when you grew up on a farm. No, I love that. <laughs> so that's what it was. I interviewed the founder of Spindrift earlier today and he grew up on a farm too. And he, he had a similar, he had a similar answer. Um, then the last question is your last day on earth. What are you eating from breakfast through the end of the day? I feel like I, I, I used to be able to answer this, but I guess it would, well, it, uh, you're like, I, where, I am my phase. No, well, I mean, hopefully I will be postmenopausal. So, um, <laughs> I guess, and so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it really, for me, wouldn't be so much about the food. Um, all, it would be about spending time with people, but it would be really fun to eat some childhood food favorites, like my mom's amazing pizza or um oh this wonderful thing that we eat at easter time which is like this baked pastry dough stuffed with ricotta cheese it's like baked and dry it's so good i don't there's no word that i could tell you what it's called that you could look it up it's dough and ricotta cheese like i think that's that's but it's baked it's not like a wet it's like a little it's so it's like that's i would probably eat a bunch of those (laughs) um and then i don't know i'm sure there are some sweets that i would like really good gelato you know some some sort of like parisian stacked layered chocolate creamy cake you know yeah some decadent stuff you know well alisa thank you so much for spending time with us again everyone please go follow lisa over at flow living check out both of her books and download the app and the millions of other ways that you help out women everywhere so thank you so so much and thank you this was so much fun thanks for having me